0: Friday, March 30th, 2018. This is Born to Battle brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. Little bonus content for you. Earlier this week, I went over to SVA and sat down with a few women veterans to talk about topics surrounding women veterans as sort of a way to wrap up the month of March and our initiatives with uh, with the Center for Women Veterans. The three women I spoke with were Sarah Maples from Veterans of Foreign Wars. Lauren Augustine of Student Veterans of America and Joy Elam from Disabled American Veterans each of them talk about women veterans and their lives that have inspired them women's veterans issues and how their respective organizations are addressing them and the growth we've seen in women veterans being involved in our in our community and taking leadership positions and being more representative and much, much more. I'll let them get more into their positions and uh, what their organizations are doing. I know you're gonna enjoy this. We'll be be back Monday with a benefits breakdown. But for now, here is our Women Veterans Roundtable discussion. Enjoy. There are nearly two million women veterans who served and deserve the best care
1: anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are
2: interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855 VA
1: WOMEN, or contact the nearest VA medical center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov/womenvet. Uh,
0: very casual. Very casual. We are here at SVA. Student Veterans of America uh, in downtown D.C. for our, uh, I guess not our first roundtable, but it feels it feels new because they have new equipment, you know. But uh, I suppose uh, we've done uh, a couple of these today. We are going to uh, talk about uh, women in the military and women veterans and uh, and issues uh, surrounding that, and also serving them uh, directly across from me, someone who was on the first uh, roundtable podcast, the director of policy. Here at SVA, Lauren Augustine. Lauren, thank you, uh, thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks so much for coming over today. We're looking forward to today's discussion.
0: Yeah, and thank you for hosting.
1: Of course, always happy to.
0: Yeah, um, you always, you're so kind to always be a host. When you're uh, the <laughs> last time you you hosted over, at got your six. Now SVA, I'm just gonna assume that wherever you are, that uh, it's an open door.
1: That's right. Uh, Well, the secret is I hate um, being cold, and so I really appreciate when people come here in the middle of winter. Well, it should be spring, but it feels like the middle of winter. Um, (laughs) Last week of March, middle of winter. (laughs) Nearly April, and I have uh, a parka on today, but thanks for everyone for trekking in the cold to come over here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, fortunately only a seven-minute walk for me, but still too cold for the last week of March. Uh, To her left... The National Legislative Director for DAV, Joy Elam. Thank you for joining us. Good
3: morning. Thank Good you morning. for having me.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then to my left, the Director for National Security and Foreign Relations, Sarah Maples. Hi. Hi. So you can speak a little louder. Be excited to be here. I can. Here. Yes. Sorry. Yes.
2: I got caught up because my title is different, so... <laughs>
0: Oh, it's different. It's
2: foreign affairs, not foreign relations. So I got hooked on that. Did I say
0: foreign (laughs) foreign relations? You did. Did I really? You did. It's okay
2: though. It just distracted me. So I apologize.
0: So it's okay. Thank you for correcting me. I've done that with my own job before i'm a public affairs specialist and i've definitely said public relations specialist before um i feel like gr- when you're not in community before i was in communications affairs and relations seemed interchangeable and then then i got into communications and i sort of learned that they weren't interchangeable but it was diff- I, my mind hasn't quite caught up with that uh that yet um okay Let's uh, let's briefly start with uh, with a little just a little bit of background, sixty seconds or less. And, and Joy, we'll start with you. Uh, just um, a little bit of service info and how and what exactly your role is uh, at Dav.
3: Great. Well, I'm an Army veteran. Um, I served back in the early '80s, and my majority of my time was spent in Wurzburg, Germany, uh, serving as a, a medic and. Uh, following military, <coughs> excuse me. Following military service, um, I continued um, uh, working in the healthcare field, and then eventually came to DAV, uh, Disabled American Veterans, and was hired back in 1995. So, I am now currently the legislative director of DAV and um, I'm responsible for uh, providing testimony on behalf of our organization and obviously covering women veterans issues over the years as a woman veteran myself and uh, been doing that for over 20 years now.
0: Okay, wonderful. Uh, Lauren, the audience may be a little familiar with you, but for those that aren't, uh, tell us a little bit about your service and and your role here at SVA.
1: Sure, I too am an Army veteran. I served uh, early, uh, mid-2000s. got out in 2012, I flew UAVs and did most of my time with First ID, the big red one, um, with a year in in Iraq. Since uh, leaving the Army, I've been in veteran advocacy for nearly five years at various organizations and here at SVA, I'm the director of policy and my responsibilities, much like what Joy described, are to advocate for policies and regulations and legislation that help student veterans succeed to, through, and beyond higher education.
0: Wonderful. Sarah, same question.
1: Sure, so I served as an Air Force intelligence officer
2: from 2000 to 2007, uh, including time in Saudi and Mm -hmm. Afghanistan. Um, After I left there, I became a military spouse for a little while, and then uh, worked in the vet space in a variety of different areas, including higher education as a VA school certifying official, uh, an academic advisor, and then from there I worked for the VA. uh, And now I work as the Director of National Security and Foreign Affairs for the Veterans of Foreign Wars. And uh, it's a little bit of a different role there. Um, my focus is on individuals who are still serving active duty guard and reserve and um, mostly their policy area. So DOD policy um, as well as POW, MIA uh, is a big part of my portfolio. And then our interactions with foreign governments as well as, well as overseas travel.
0: Wow. <laughs> the uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars is definitely one of those titles where when someone says it like that, I don't. Think VFW right away, and then like, right. wait, what? Oh, VFW, duh. Why didn't you just say that? No, um, <laughs> wonderful. Thank you for being here. So we're gonna we're gonna start with a, with a question that uh, I've just recently started asking um, people on the podcast that, that has gotten really good answers and and has been received really well. And we're gonna talk about either a great leader or a close friend that you had in in, in the military. Uh, and Lauren, we'll start with you. Uh, you can choose either one of either one, but tell us tell us about that person.
1: Sure. So I. I- you sort of alluded that you might ask that. And I really thought long and hard about how I would answer specifically as it relates to women that I served with and, and women leaders that I've been inspired by. And um, I actually didn't serve with very many women. I, For most of my deployment, I was the only woman in my unit, which was somewhat nice because that meant I had my own room, right? I didn't have a, a roommate, but also um, meant that I didn't have a lot of women around me to interact with and to be inspired by or, or to serve with. Um, but when I thought more deeply about women I had seen in the military, I realized that one of the reasons I chose to serve was because of two women in my life that I really admired at a young age. Uh, I went to Virginia Tech, which has a Corps of Cadets at it, and There was two. I was not in the Corps of Cadets. I was a civilian student. um, But there was two women that I went to school with that became good friends and are still friends, um, Kate and Christina. And I watched their confidence and their intelligence and their camaraderie between the two of them. And I was desperate for that same sort of sense of belonging and accomplishment that I saw. And I attributed that to the Corps of Cadets and to their their military training. And it really inspired me to serve. Uh, Part of the reason I wanted to was seeing that and wanting to to replicate that. Um, So I think those to I they have no idea that I'm going to say that but um, when I thought that, thought about it they really had such an impact on what I saw as women in the military and and I attribute it to them so
0: Very well. Sarah.
1: So
2: I served with a lot of women. Intel Air Force is full of, of lots of women, thankfully. So I got to serve around a lot of them. But um, the majority of them were my peers. Um, while I did have some uh, supervisors uh, who were women, the the women that really impressed upon me how um, awesome it was to serve were, were my peer group. Um, and my very closest friends are all women that I met and served with in the military. And um, But if I had to pick one sort of outside of, you know, sort of as a idol or someone that I look up to. At the time that I came in as a second lieutenant, uh, it would have to be Martha McSally. So, of course, now everybody knows her as a congresswoman. But when I was a lieutenant, she was just starting to sue the Department of Defense for having to wear the abaya in Saudi Arabia. And it didn't really impact me at the time, except that, you know, people were talking about her. But now when I think about it, I think what a big step that was in, in making sure that policy was equal for women
3: who were serving as well as the men. Joy? I came from a family that a number of people served in the military and it happened to be my father was um, a World War two veteran but his sister his older sister also during World War two served in the Marine Corps so Fi. yeah so I had a role model and you know one of my favorite aunts um, I when I joined the military I was fortunate enough to serve with a number of women Um In the 67th evac hospital, it was, you know, in a variety of of positions. But I did have some good friends that were nurses, uh, nurse anesthetists that really, you know, I just remember fondly and think about um, how much they mentored me in my career during the military and inspired me to um, do more, be more um, and to follow my goals and, and, uh, educational goals following military service. So I, I look, you know, fondly on them and still have a number of friends from the military that, um, I'm in close contact with and feel very fortunate for those relationships.
0: Yeah. Um, so now I want to move on to, um, your, your, Per, uh, respective organizations' perspective on women's veterans' issues, um, primarily um, as they begin the transition, and then as they transition either as it has to do with their current vocation or education or what it may be. Uh, so, Sarah, we'll, we'll start with you. Um, from the VFW's perspective, what, what, do you, what challenges, or at least through that lens, what, uh, what challenges do you see women veterans having either before, during, or after their transition?
2: Um, so there, I think there are a number that we all recognize. Healthcare, of course, always comes to the top. But um, for me, for seeing it from the DOD and the VA side is actually the, um, the connection between the two. Uh, and there's a lot of space often between when women leave the service and when they actually get involved in either VA healthcare or veterans-related issues. And um, we're very focused on trying to close that gap. And there are a number of uh, things that are happening in that space right now, including a DOD VHA pilot program that's supposed to help women who are transitioning get into VA healthcare quicker. And we are really supportive of those types of topics because I think um, I spoke last year at the Joint Women's Leadership Symposium, Air Force Day, and when I would say women veterans, I didn't get any recognition. So they were very much thinking of themselves as service members and not as veterans. And so when I would talk about some of the things that were impacting women veterans, like suicide rates and homelessness rates, it wasn't connecting to them until I uh, made the connection for them and said, you know, these statistics I'm telling you start in this room. And it was really sort of mind blowing for them to to realize that, that I'm talking about them. I'm talking about their future selves. And what can we do while they're on active duty that changes how successful they are when they leave active duty. So that's really where the gaps are that we're focusing on.
0: Um, so, um, to touch more on that, you said, you know, it starts in this room. At what points in um Uh, from your understanding, at what point in the transition becomes the most critical moment as it comes to um, uh, homelessness among women veterans?
2: Um, So I'm, I can't say I'm an expert on the homelessness piece, but I think a lot of the challenges that women face are when they leave the service. So like I said, I, as on active duty, serve with a lot of women. But when I left, um, we sort of spread out everywhere. And um, we're sort of like unicorns when you look at the general US population. I mean, 10% 10% of the U.S. population has served, 10% of that 10% is women. So trying to actually find other women veterans and, and recreate that sort of support network that you had on active duty proves very difficult. And so when you're outside um, and people don't recognize your service or don't believe that you served, all those things that you had to rely on in the past – um, aren't really there. And so I think that's where the, the significant issue is you start worrying about your self-efficacy and, and whether you are actually as capable as you thought you were and that can lead to some of those issues like homelessness, suicide.
0: Yeah. Uh, Joy, from the, uh, from, through the lens of DAV, what, uh, what challenges do you see women veterans having um, maybe in their vocation or as they navigate uh, their benefits, what, whatever you can you provide here?
3: Well, I'm really fortunate with DAV um, and being a woman veteran that this has been a, um, our leadership has been very supportive of exploring, especially since um, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan started. And we started to really get a lot of data back. Um, that researchers were doing for those who had been serving, women veterans who had been serving. And that sort of directed us to um, do a look back at all of that research to find out what do we know and how these programs the government is providing across the spectrum are supporting women veterans. Um, Our report came out in late 2014, Women Veterans, The Long Journey Home, which really went across the spectrum, again, looking at how these programs have benefited women. And the thing that we really found was that because VA is predominantly men, um, out of the almost 7 million users, we we have about 500,000 women that are in VA, using VA VA right now, that number has continually grown and almost tripled over the last, um, you know, five to seven years. And so it's, even though it's a growing population within the department, it's still a very small one. So programs for readjustment had really been developed around male veterans. And one of the things that we found was the readjustment needs of women aren't necessarily the same. They have some unique challenges Um, for example women veterans often um, uh, were um, either single parents um, and had small children so when they came back or they were married and they were expected to return to a family um, environment where immediately they became mother caretaker um, you know wife or spouse and they um, you know, said they had a real difficulty in making that adjustment and really connecting. And what's also been mentioned is the peer issue, having other women. So even if they served with women, when they came back, they felt very isolated and didn't have the peer-to-peer interaction that a lot of um, male veterans have, which helps them navigate. Um, I'm feeling this way too, I've experienced this, and word of mouth about programs and services. So, um, and, and the other thing that research has stated for more than a decade is that women don't identify as veterans, as Sarah indicated. Um, they just don't, even when they know, you tell them you're going to be a veteran, for whatever reason, that hasn't you know really grasped for them. So when you're talking about programs and services, they're not attuned to, hey, that's available for me. So those are, you know, child care, access to child care, getting into the VA health care system, getting the services they need can be just one point of difficulty and then when they get in you know there's been a big culture change trying to uh the va's been trying to make and uh so sometimes some women early on didn't feel welcomed Um, while that's changing you know that adds as a barrier as well
0: yeah um but the mention how you know women veterans are less likely to identify as veteran i i saw this um I i see this on veterans day when I'm walking around the mall and I'm trying to get, like, pictures and video and stuff like that, and the first event of the day is always World War II, right, and so, um, you know, it's old white men, right, um, and all of them are awesome, by the way, uh, and then I, and then that t- takes me into, like, the start midday, and then by that point, I'm trying to find, uh, you know, different subjects, and you know, it's so difficult to find, and like I'm going off of quick identifiers, right? The hats, the vests, the, you know, and women are just far less likely to be wearing any of those identifiers. Um, and so it, it, and that's when, uh, you know, I've heard people say this, but it wasn't until I started doing this work that, you know, and I'm actually like, quickly trying to identify women veterans to, Uh, to feature that they're, you know, they very rarely wear those identifiers. And and I wonder if that's just another version of that.
3: And even when they do, that's an interesting story. One time when we were testifying um, before a joint hearing, and all of the people in the front row, we had hats, our hats on identifying us as DAV members. And we were asked to stand and be recognized. And everyone did. And the members of Congress came down the line shaking everyone's hand. And it was a woman Congresswoman who said um, she was shaking the hands of all the men beside me. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. And when she got to me, she said, "Thank you for being here." And I thought, <laughs> "Wow, you know, we're we're here, and it's still." But I mean, I took it as like we are here, and they still you you're looking at me. I'm standing with everybody. I have a hat on, and I'm not being identified. <laughs> I have hat. So you know, it it it's a thing. Our perception, yeah. Um, women just for whatever. Reason that that continues,
0: yeah. I know something that VA has is it, you know still isn't perfect on, but has drastically been trying to get better on is when uh when women approach the the VA medical center, you know. I, Always assuming that unless they know that person, always assuming that they're the veteran, because uh, there's so many. I mean, I'm sure you all have stories of of being asked what your husband's social is, and you know, and um, and so it's uh yeah. I think every I think everywhere in the space definitely has room for improvement there. Um,
1: I'll I'll jump in on yeah, that really please. quickly. I have found similar stories across the board, of course, and one of the things that I've tried to institute in my own uh, vocabulary and interactions with people is to stop asking if they served and to start asking which branch they served with. Yeah. And if they didn't, they'll correct you, but then it's an automatic inclusion. Um, I do a lot of volunteer work with other organizations like Team RWB, and that organization brings out people who are veterans, non-veterans, uh, and you know supporters alike, and um, I found it to be such an empowering statement instead of asking if, but but just where or, or who, who with. Um, and again, they'll correct you if they're wrong or if you if they didn't, but um, it's a really powerful way of asking. So mm-hmm. Even within out. the
3: service organizations, you know, the standard, mm-hmm. the, you know, major ones, you know, it's still, we still hear women veterans saying, you know, I'm at a conference, I'm at a convention, I've got my hat on or I'm identified, but somebody's still thinking I'm just, I'm the spouse. So yeah. Um, Still a lot of work to do in that regard.
0: Lauren, I think we still need to hear from you on um, what you see uh, women veterans, uh, maybe a challenge that you see them having uh, right now uh, through the the lens of, of SVA.
1: What's interesting when you look at women in higher education and women veterans in higher education is that it's not necessarily anything gender specific that women veterans are experiencing as challenges, but they're really challenges that all non traditional students face. So things like childcare, um, a lot of student veterans going back to school have families and have jobs and they need child care to be able to go to class. Things like uh, flexibility and when they can go to class and and when those classes take place. Um, or course scheduling, you know, if you if you need to take Calculus 1 and Calculus 2 and you can handle both at the same time, allowing you to do that to prevent some of those challenges and sequencing of when you can go and how long it takes you to be able to get through school uh, quickly and at a pace that you're able to handle. Um, and those are across the board for all non-traditional students, not just women veterans. And so we we really try to make sure that when we look at challenges faced by student veterans, that we're advocating for all of them and reducing those barriers to make sure that there's success rates that were, you know, student veterans are succeeding at crazy rates. Um, and it's pretty impressive to see, and we want to make sure that continues and women veterans are certainly a part of that success.
0: Yeah. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was president at the SVA chapter at, at SVA was coming out with that data of like, look, student veterans are succeeding, but on their peers. And I was looking around like, yo, we need to step our game up. We don't, <laughs> we don't want to start bringing down the average. Let's talk about legislation and and, and policy. Uh, just, pre- yeah. Um, but uh, with whatever, um, just because I know there's a, there, there is experience in the room here, and I think one one unique um, experience that we have being in DC is we're far more familiar. Um, or at least far more exposed to that process and what's actually happening with policy and legislation, and um, and that's what that's what ultimately makes these moves right. That's what actually makes a difference in, in a lot of these uh, arenas, especially when it comes to uh, veterans' benefits. So, Joy, tell us. I mean, tell us about uh, legislation, and, and you've been around for a while. Even you can talk about the evolution that you've seen in. And, um, and I think maybe now that I'm now that I'm saying it, maybe the the cool perspective would be. The difference between you know when you first started doing this and now on how women veterans are being considered uh, as a part of policy and legislation.
3: Great, uh, great lead-in. Yes, I've um, testified you know numerous times before Congress and on women veterans. This has always been a an issue that's so frustrating because we would put forth you know we'd see legislation come forward and. you know, it just wouldn't go anywhere, and or it would take years and years to pass the most simple piece of legislation, or even one or two provisions. But really, with again um, the research that VA is doing, and I credit, you know, people like Dr. Yano, Dr. Washington, and others that are VA researchers on women's health and the impact of military service on women, have led to. Um, the research that's being done, we're able to really use that and get Congress's attention that these are the facts, here's where the gaps are, here's what needs to be done with regard to women veterans. So we've seen a number of, uh, you know, women veterans bills that have been introduced, a number of uh, legislative measures. We have people interested, um, DAV and VFW and the other organizations have all done different things, trying to highlight and elevate um, in the recognition of women veterans. And a couple of things that we've done, there's been films that are out there that really speak to, um, the first one was Lioness, When Women Veterans Come Marching Home. There's been uh, several of them. And now and then the most recent one that I remember was Journey to Normal. Uh, we hosted um, panel discussions with those women veterans and invited legislators and their staffs. And I think that has led to really hearing from women veterans directly that they, oh, you know, there is legislation that's necessary. And really digging into what is VA doing, what progress have they made and they have made progress, um, but we wanna keep the pressure on. Because again, it's a small group of women veterans that um, use the VA healthcare system, and even in growing numbers, when you spread them out, you know, each facility um, can struggle with those issues. So some of the legislation that's out there, you know, deals with the infrastructure, um, again, access to child care, um, improving gender-specific care, making sure VA has the dollars and resources to uh, train their women veterans, women veteran clinician providers. Um, VA's doing a mini-residencies uh, but they need to have um, make sure that they have enough women uh, providers to serve you know the women veterans that are in those facilities. Um, everybody wants to get the high quality care we know VA can offer, and that requires them to have expertise in women's health and understanding about their mental health issues, the homelessness, the increased rates of suicide among this population. And um, we're seeing tremendous leaps and bounds, but the legislation is still core. Um, I, at the omnibus that just passed last week, I'm pleased to say that there, were, um, uh, there, were, there was money in there specifically for provisions that we've all been fighting for, all the organizations. Um, many of those provisions were in the Deborah Sampson Act. Uh, which has been sort of the, uh, introduced in the 115th Congress, um, which included a number of, you know, key key provisions um, focused really on women veterans, so, you know, Now is the push time. We haven't had a hearing in a couple of years on women veterans. We've asked both the House and Senate to conduct those hearings because it gives us an opportunity to hear from VA where they've progressed, um, look at the legislation that now has been passed so far, but what is needed to be done. So I think it's just a beginning um, of what needs to be passed. But um, it's going to require all the organizations to really band together to come, continue to push this over the, you know, the finish line.
0: Yeah, uh, on that hearing that you're talking about, what, um, uh, you know, should that uh, should that be granted? Like, how how does that serve as a catalyst to to future policy or, or um, developments?
3: I think when we hear from VA and we hear from the veteran service organizations or women veterans that are invited to testify, um, they're able to provide um, information about, you know, their personal experience with VA, what's happening um, on the ground, and to look at, you know, again where the gaps are, where they exist. Um, we know that. Uh, the peer to peer issue has been very successful in VA. We want to make sure there are women peers to reach out to those women who are engaging in the system so that they, if they have difficulty navigating, they're going to be able to get through and get what they want help from another peer, another woman who has served. Yeah. Um, you know, maternity care we now have a younger group of women veterans who have served and are in their childbearing years. When they come to VA, health care they expect to be able to get maternity care that's a new one for va so they had struggled a little bit to get you know be uh, ahead of the curve on that one and you know they're still continuing their efforts to make sure when Women veterans are sent out in the community, they're going to get quality care like they're at VA, and that all their other issues that they may have with regard to PTSD or any other exposures, uh, toxic exposures uh, from their military service are going to be addressed as well.
0: Yeah. Anything to add, Lauren, Sarah? Anything
1: I'll go back to the, to the notion that um, anything legislatively related to women student veterans is really more encompassing of all non-traditional students and, and student veterans being a, a large cohort of that. Um, and so this year what we're really looking at is the Higher Education Reauthorization Act and closely monitoring that as it goes through the House and the Senate to make sure that it it advocates and supports non-traditional students and student veterans as best that it can. Specific to VA where, where um, Will and I both testified um, last week, the week before, on the need for a champion and advocate for economic opportunity programs and benefits at the VA beyond what's currently in the enterprise structure. Um, so we're going to continue to push for that and um, make sure that, that student veterans and all economic opportunity programs that are really empowering and, and helpful for getting that home or you know going back to school, voc rehab, some of these great benefits have a true champion leading them and making sure that they stay sustainable and, and truly empowering you have anything to add? So uh, one thing, so I, I agree with
2: everything Joyce said as far as where the topics that we're focused on, uh, toxic exposure, mental health, reproductive uh, care. Um, but we're also looking at um, equity between what you have access to in DOD and what you have access to in VA. So now that we're, we're looking more at the systems coming together, um, there are some gaps in what can be provided in one versus in the other. And we want to make sure that because they are transitioning from DOD care uh, to VA care, that there is continuity of care and that what's offered in one is offered in the other. So that's something that we're going to be focusing on. We're going to be releasing another women veteran survey here shortly that's going to sort of compare some of those same topics with experiences on active duty and experiences afterwards in the VA.
0: Sure. Uh, So the next thing I want to talk about is... um is women veteran representation in the in the culture and women veteran leadership in in I guess a more professional setting, um, and I'll I'll provide a little context. And uh, one thing that uh, that one thing that I have learned to do, and I've I've only had one opportunity to do this since I learned this, but. Um, you know, I in in the for in like what now? Oh, wow, six years. I've been in the military for a while now. Uh, in my time out of the military, I've, I've been on panels and I've done speaking events and stuff like that. And it never dawned on me to consider who else is on the panel. I just accepted the invitation to be there. And um, and finally, a friend of mine challenged me: he was like, Are, is that really who you served with? Was you know that you know, like when you look at that panel, do you think that's represent, representative of either who you served with or who the veteran space really is?" Um, and so. Uh, It's only again, it's only happened once since, but I have learned that when I'm invited to speak or be on a panel to ask who else is on the panel and if I don't think that it's representative of the veteran space to to politely deny with recommending someone else that I think it could contribute provide a better contribution. Um, So so similar to that, I mean, uh, Lauren, we'll, we'll let you kick this off if if, you, uh, if that's okay. Um, but just what you've seen uh, in the veteran space as far as you know, women veterans getting on panels, women veterans being the keynote speaker at events, women veterans getting, uh, getting the opportunity to speak on the veteran experience uh, with equal share to their peers.
1: That's a great question. And I think I'll, I'll take it in two parts. I'll answer personally and then also professionally in my role at SVA. So personally, um, as I mentioned earlier, I've been in the space going on five years now. And when I first started, um, I was one of few women veterans working in the VSO space. Um, I, I Joy really is the godfather of all things women veterans because she was probably the only other woman veteran I could quickly identify when I first started. And I, I saw Joy on a lot of panels. And And I will say that um, her advocacy style is something to be respected and emulated as it's very thoughtful and and well-researched. And she, she has done such a wonderful job for women veterans but I've been pleasantly blown away over the last five years to see the rapid growth of women women veterans represented in VSOs across the spectrum. Um, Look at the room now. There's three of us from three different organizations, and this isn't even every organization or every woman serving in a VSO capacity. So it's really been shocking, and delightfully so, to see the growth on that side. Um, Professionally from SVA, women are really... Doing awesome as it relates to being leaders in the space right now. Forty-eight percent of SVA chapter leaders are women.
0: That's awesome. Um, that's
1: awesome, right? That's that's almost insane when you look at it, sort of in a statistical standpoint. But more than that, there's also twenty percent of GI Bill users are women right now, which is overrepresentation. Um, if you look at the active duty force, which is only about sixteen percent of. Does that, does that include both veterans and dependents? That or... is veterans. Just veterans. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is fantastic when you look at you know, the comparative 16% of active duty. So women are really taking the charge in in higher education. And what that means is that down the road, we're going to see women veterans being leaders in every aspect of industry because they're they're leaders on campus. Um, and so we're really looking forward to the power of women veterans who are in school right now, taking the charge farther and and continuing that leadership down the road. Sarah. So I would say that, um, I think women veterans have always been um,
2: outstanding performers. Have always gone on and performed better. I think what we're doing now is actually looking at it and being able to quantify it and actually having them speak it speak up. So I think before a lot of women were, were doing the hard work and they were in senior level positions and they were starting businesses, but they were just putting their nose to the grindstone and getting it done. And now we're seeing that they're they're doing that and they're also using their voice to speak as well and and the more public positions. And so I can say for VFW, we have our First female CFO uh, right now, and I'm the uh, only female director at VFW. But given the percentages, that's still you know representative of. Um of our population. And I think we're seeing more, um, both in, I mean, look at co- in Congress at the local level, we're seeing a lot more, um, veteran entrepreneurs who are women who are coming out and leading the way and setting the example. So I think it's really good. I think we still have a long way to go for it to get down to the individual who's living in a rural town, maybe who's the only female veteran in the town or thinks there are, you know, cause they can't identify another. And, um, I think we still, it's still got a ways to go before they're represented across the board and they all feel like they can go someplace and someone's going to be
3: like, oh yeah, you're a female vet. That's awesome. I recognize that. Um, but I think we're getting there.
0: Yeah. Joy.
3: I, this is a great question. Um, and lead into this section. I I really, it's been so exciting to see, as Lauren mentioned, you know, for the longest time I was like the only woman veteran. Uh, it would seem I would go to a meeting or I'd be testifying, It was the only woman. And now we're seeing so many um, in each of the organizations. If they had a woman veterans panel, they would definitely have a full contingent availability of women veterans to, to um, testify for each of the organizations. and. One of the things that I, you know, for DAV, we just elected last year our first national commander as a woman veteran. Yep. I know the American Legion did as well this year, this past year. And that's great because I've seen within um, our um, community, our, you know, the veteran Service Organization community, women stepping up being department commanders, chapter commanders, and now we have a national commander and she's very well respected, um, very, you know, she's earned her spot, um, came up through the ranks like everybody else has and they you know, respect her and appreciate her um being the voice for our organization. So, I'm seeing that on the on the legislative side, the policy side, and the more women that are involved, um, you know, there's obviously a personal interest for us to make sure the policy is right, to point out, you know, where those gaps are and get them fixed. And to challenge our organizations that we serve in, that it shouldn't be an afterthought. This should be, you know, inclusive. And in every program, service department um, needs to think about it. And I learned that from somebody at VA who said, you know, it shouldn't just be the Center for Women Veterans or the Women Veterans Program Office that takes the charge. If if you want cultural change, it needs to be throughout the organization. And every department, every service line needs to think. Am I serving women veterans well with this program? Is it reflected in the brochures? Is it reflected in the posters? Is it, you know, you need everyone to do that to yeah. make to make it happen.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we will we'll wrap up with uh, with with giving uh, some other organizations that aren't in a room uh, some credit. Um, tell me, I'm going to ask each of you tell me about a, a a specific veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with, other than one that's in the room uh, that has you excited about what they're doing right now. Joy, Joy, we'll start with you.
3: Well, I'm going to give a shout out to. Um, it's maybe not a veteran service organization per se, but the Boulder Crest uh, Retreat Center just did a women veterans, uh, all women veterans retreat. And um, I was just so pleased to hear that, um, you know, they took an interest in wanting to do that. And it was really, it's a readjustment uh, counseling uh, program that's over a week period. They bring women veterans together, really network, helping them network and develop close relationships, so that they have the support that they need. Um, the training, uh, when I heard about the program, is really solid. And so I think it's a lot of our other smaller organizations that are stepping up and saying, okay, we've had this retreat, wilderness retreat available for men. Um, you know, we need to do one for our women veterans. And now they're totally committed. They see it's needed. It was successful. And the VA program that was doing that as well through um, their vet, the Vet Center program has been very successful and helpful. So I'm, I'm going to give my shout out to them for today.
0: I like that. Yeah, Ken Falk, uh, who, uh, who uh, helped found that, uh, him and I have been in touch. We're actually, uh, me and my colleague will most likely later this year be going out for their next women veterans retreats uh, and covering that and, and making sure that more people find out about that.
3: Great. I heard from the women veterans. They just were really, uh, you know, couldn't be more complimentary about the program and about the growth, the personal growth that they experienced and just short a period of time um, they felt that they were getting the tools that they needed and the support network that they were really craving
0: yeah Um, I think what's what's great about Boulder Crest is it's a retreat that doesn't escape you when you leave Uh, at least that's what I'm hearing from people that go there which I think uh, if anybody went to like camp growing up, you know, like, or you know, you go there and you're fired up about life, and then you leave and you forget about everything that you just learned because you're distracted. Uh, apparently, with some like follow-ons that they do, when just sort of like uh, the, with a lot of discipline, they uh, they instill in people that go through there. People leave there and still sort of embrace what, what they have learned, which I think is is the most important part of that whole experience. Lauren.
1: I don't think mine will be too much of a surprise because I kind of already gave them a shout out uh, earlier in the conversation, but I am always so impressed and energized by the work of Team RWB, Team Red, White and Blue. Uh, They facilitate Physical activity and social activity for veterans and non-veterans alike in communities across the country, and um, I I do quite a bit um, with some of their CrossFit stuff myself, and it's just so much fun every month to come together and throw some weight around with people, meet new people, network, find other women veterans or or other um, male veterans in the in the area that I didn't know about, and grab coffee with them later and just really connect with people on a meaningful level, like when you when you sweat together, right, like sort of suffer together, you you become instant friends. Um, so I'm always so impressed with them and very excited to see their growth. Uh,
0: you're right. Team RWB, uh, fantastic. This this podcast we're recording right now is actually coming at the tail end of a four-part series that we did spotlighting. Women veteran athletes, part of the initiative put on by the Center for Women Veterans, and so uh, and Team RDB contributed to that by helping us identify four people in the, in their community uh, that could do that. Um, and you're right, when you when you sweat together, there's there's like I don't know, Team Team RDB probably, and I, I've heard that there's even data to support this, one of the fastest growing organizations in the veteran space as it comes to both membership wise and impact. Um, who knows? I could, that could be out of thin air, but I'm sure they appreciate the the accolade nonetheless. Um, Sarah. So
2: actually, I'm going to go with uh, the Defense Advisory Committee on Women in the Services. Um, So it's a panel made up largely of women veterans, and uh, they are looking at policies that are impacting those who are currently serving. And I think that's a key thing that those of us who have served need to do is actually see how we can pave the way for the generation that's coming behind us. And they're doing that. They're doing some great research. They're holding uh, DOD's feet to the fire on some key topics, such as... um, I like Marines United and making sure that um, we're looking at everything from how body armor fits to how many women are getting injured in basic training and what their transition is looking like afterwards. So I think they're just looking at a lot of topics that are going to make it easier for the next generation of women veterans to come through service and then off active duty.
0: I dig it. Wonderful. Well, uh, Joy, Lauren, Sarah, thank you. I uh, thank all of you for, for joining me. It's, this is, uh, this has been fun. Thank you for your service. Thank you for being here, and uh, <laughs> and uh, thanks for a wonderful conversation.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.